0: Open our eyes, Lord. Let's open our eyes to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation 6, I understand uh, how some may approach the book of Revelation. Uh, You know, some some will uh, be in the church, and when we say, Let's read out of Revelation, they kind of draw up. And really don't want to hear what all has to be said but aren't you glad that God warns us what's going on Uh, aren't you glad that that we have something to show us uh, just exactly what the future holds now we live in a society today where everybody thinks they know the future they know when things are going to happen they know what's going to happen uh, we, we got people that make money off of this thing. You can, you can dial a hotline and you can talk to somebody. that will tell you everything that's going to go on. Truth of the matter is, there's not a person on this earth that knows the future. We may even say, I'm going to do this tomorrow. You don't know that. James said that. You don't know what tomorrow even holds for you. So the only one that we can trust about the future is Almighty God. And so the book of Revelation God has given to us that he might quiet our spirit to understand here's what's going to happen, here's how you prepare for that. I also know that there are a lot of of, uh, different opinions, I understand that. There's a lot of churches that uh, look at Revelation differently than than I look at it and they have uh, their teachings about that, I, I understand that. I'm, I'm not here to talk about anybody's church, and I won't. That's, that's them. This is me. So what we're looking at when we open the book of Revelation is that we are looking at the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Revelation 1.1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what this book is about. And that's the way we're going to look at it and see what God has to say to us. To prepare our hearts for what is taking place in the future. Because God knows that. Now for the first five chapters, you and I have had a great adventure in heaven. John exiled on the Isle of Patmos under the leadership of Domitian. Domitian was the ruler that wanted to be declared Lord, God. And you worshipped him and you called him Lord. Lord. Domitian put John on the aisle because John wouldn't do that, and then heaven opened to John. And as the heavens opened, John says, I was in the spirit of the Lord, and then he saw the risen Savior, Revelation 1. He describes the the Savior as he saw him. Verse 19 of Revelation 1 is the outline to the book. We've gone over that a couple of three times. The outline of the book teaches us, John, write the things that you have seen. That's the living Savior. Write the things which are. That's the church age. Write write about things that will come hereafter. Chapter 4 says after this. 2 and 3 are the churches, the seven churches... That represent every church of every age that we're going to live through. So Jesus writes to these seven churches; they represent all of the church age. For one, after this, I told you what that meant. After the church age, church is gone. Church is never mentioned again until Revelation twenty-two. That's when you hear Jesus speak about the churches. The bride will marry the bridegroom. There will be a marriage supper of the Lamb. Before the millennium, we will be with Christ. So chapter 4, we watched as all of uh, the things in heaven. uh, Chapter 4 describes for us the throne, everything around the throne. How God is is sitting on the throne, chapter 5, last week in heaven, we talked about the worthy lamb, the lamb that is worthy, but we also understand that he is our kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer was the only one that could buy back, take back control of land or slaves or whatever during the year of Jubilee. Hope you read Leviticus 25. It explains the year of Jubilee to you. And then the book of Ruth. You see the kinsman redeemer uh, in that little book of Ruth. But now the worthy lamb, our kinsman redeemer, walks to the throne and he takes the scroll. It's been sealed seven times. And the way we know that is because we're going to see seven seals that will be opened. Well, let's, let's find out just a little bit about what uh, John is facing here as he comes back down to earth, so to speak. He's been in heaven. He's shown us all of these things that were there. And we've given praise to the Lamb. And now John is back on the earth. And all of a sudden, he sees the future begin to unroll. And what happens is, is that it collides with the judgment of God. Now these seals, we're going to have seven seals. There's seven bowls. Right in the middle of that, there are seven thunders. And then these things are going to meet the judgment of God. What God has planned for those in the future now here's what you're going to see in just a moment god is going to allow man to rule the world okay and we'll we'll talk about that here in just a second but think for just a minute we've got man in charge of our governments today don't we and they have made a total chaos out of who we actually are because man doesn't know how to rule what happens when man begins to rule is that they become greedy and that greed turns into anger and that anger turns men against man and woman against woman and that's what's happening in our country today and with all of this these people ruling no one agrees about anything and so there's, there's going to take some, it's going to take something that's going to have to change that. So God is going to allow man to be in control of the world. It doesn't mean he relinquishes it, but he's going to allow man to do what only man can do. And he's going to take this world and he's going to literally destroy it. In Matthew chapter 5, I, I, I want to tell you this before we read. Matthew chapter 5. You remember in the Beatitudes that Jesus told His disciples and those that had gathered there that we are salt and light. Remember that? Verses 13 and 14. We are salt. We are light. And so Jesus said as, as His children, that's who we are. That's what we are to be in this world. And a church should be a church of salt and a church of light. Those who know Christ, he has commissioned us and sent us out. And we look at that and we understand that it is salt that preserves. That's what they used to do years ago when when they had hog killing time. And you killed the hog and you got it ready and you put it in the smokehouse, but you covered it in salt to keep the meat from rotting. That's what it did. The salt was used there to preserve. The light was to warm us, to guide us, to lead us. What happens when the salt is gone from the earth? Putrefaction. Things begin to rot. The world grows cold. And the world grows extremely dark. Salt is gone. Light is gone. I introduce you in chapter 6 to the tribulation. There are a lot of people that will say, everything that we're going through on this earth is the tribulation. And they see it as fulfilled all the way through the book of Revelation that this just represents something that you and I are going through right now. The interesting thing is, is that as you read from chapter 6 to chapter 20, as you read to the end of chapter 20, what you're going to find out is, as you read this, as has been said on several different occasions, you ain't seen nothing yet. And when the tribulation begins to take place on this earth, Folks, you ain't seen nothing yet. All right, look in Revelation 6. Everybody's found it? Now, I want you to keep your hand on your Bible because I've got a couple of more places I want you to read with me. And you may say, Preacher, why don't you put those on the screen? And I could do that, but I don't want you to get lazy. You're welcome. Look at Revelation 6 and verse 1. Okay, John's now down on the earth, and he said, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. Verse 1 begins God's judgment In the tribulation. The goal of the Redeemer. Is to take the scroll. And with that scroll. He is going to open. All that is going to take place. From the very beginning. Until the seven years is up. And when that seven years is complete. The kinsman Redeemer is going to take back. The inheritance that Adam lost in the garden. Okay. Now. Verse 1, there is, as the Lamb opened one of the seals, he heard the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts. And we're not talking about some cow talking or or some tiger or lion talking. This is the angels of God, the cherubim or the seraphim that have the six wings, the beasts that are before the throne. And one of them is going to cry out. And the King James Version says, come and see. Now, really and truly, that that phrase is just basically, come. Because come and see would indicate that John is the recipient of that call. They're not telling John to come and see what's fixing to happen. Verse 2, And I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him that had a bow, a crown, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. When that angel cried, he cried, come. And he's speaking to that horse. The rider of the horse is now free to come. And thus he begins to ride forth. Now let's notice something about this white horse. As the beast calls, the seraphim calls out, The white horse comes, the white horse in the Scripture. and You can go back in the Old Testament and you can read about the white horse. The white horse in the Scripture and the white horse in Eastern custom is always the horse of victory. When a ruler would come riding into his town after a battle in the war, then he would ride a white horse, which indicated that he was the victor in the war. He would bring the spoil behind him. And as they followed in, he would ride in triumph because he had become the victor in that time of war. Now notice what he had. The scripture says that he had in his hand what? A bow. He has a bow in his hand. And then it says he has a crown, singular, a crown. The word is stephanos. That that word means the victor's crown. It's a laurel. And it wraps around the head. But it comes to someone who has gained a victory. So he has a bow in his hand. He has a crown of Stephanos, the little crown on his head of victory. But he comes riding in peace. Now I'm going to get to that in just a minute, but i got to stop right here. There are a lot of people that take this white horse in Revelation 6... And they say, that is Christ on that horse. Now, here's what I want you to understand. If you read this verse, verse 2, and you read Revelation 19, somewhere around 11 and 12, somewhere in there, it describes the rider of the white horse. But there is a difference there between this rider and 6 and the rider in chapter 19. Now let's notice something. In verse 2, the rider of the white horse has a bow. No arrows, just a bow. He had arrows, they just said that. John said he had a bow, which basically means he's going to come and he's going to gain victory by peace. Okay, sounds good. The rider in Revelation 19 Has a sword, but the sword is the word of God. Comes forth. He speaks the word of God and he will rule. Okay? The writer in chapter 6 has a bow, no arrows. The writer in chapter 19, he has a sword, and that sword is called the word of God. In chapter 2, or chapter 6, verse 2, there is a crown the victor's crown on the head of that rider. In chapter 19, he has crowns. And we call it the diadem. It's the kingly crown. The rider in chapter six is not Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ rides out in chapter 19, and as he rides, All of us that are with him will ride behind him and come forth to conquer by his word. I've already got my Shetland pony waiting for me. And I'm riding right behind him. And all we're going to do, folks, is we're going to ride down with him in chapter 19. And he is going to speak and he's going to destroy But this writer in chapter 6 is going to come forth in peace. The world's going to be in a turmoil. Wonder why. You know why? Because of the rapture. The rapture is going to take place. And when the rapture takes place, this place is going to go into a tizzy. My mother used to say that. It's going to be in, in, in so much turmoil and so much uproar because nobody can explain it. And then all of a sudden, here comes this guy, and he comes riding through, and he begins to say, it's going to be all right. I'm going to take care of you, and here's my plan. And he goes to another government, and he said, I'll take care of you. Here's my plan. He's going to be able to suck in every kingdom of the world by his plan, and he comes as a man of peace, and his name is the Antichrist. The rider of the white horse in chapter 6 is the Antichrist coming forth to begin his reign. The world is in turmoil, and he's going to say, I've got a plan. He's going to lay out his plan, and people are going to say, what a great guy he is. And then he's, they're going to say, let's follow him. And he's going to bring them all in. Oh, I love you. Oh, I'm going to take care of you. Everything's going to be okay. Just follow me. And the kingdoms will turn themselves over to this Antichrist. You understand all of that? You, you see what I'm saying here? So the Antichrist, this is the beginning of the tribulation. He's going to come riding in. But... He's going to be the leader of the others that are going to follow. But let's look at something for a minute. One of the ways that we can tell is this right or not is to listen to the words of Jesus. Isn't that right? Now, if Jesus tells us these things, then you and I can say, gee, that's right. So I want you to be able to walk out of here today and see and say, gee, he's right. Look at Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 and 25, is what is known as the Olivet Discourse. The Olivet Discourse is Jesus Christ answering a question from his disciples, but it's about what's going to happen at the end. And Jesus begins to describe this for him. So look in chapter uh, 24 and look at verse 4. Sits down with the disciples on the Mount of Olives. In verse 4, he begins to answer them. Listen to what he said. Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in different places. All these are the beginning of sorrow, Revelation 6. All of these are the beginning of sorrows. The deceiver is the Antichrist. The false Christ is the epitome of the the Antichrist. And all of these things are going to come after him. Wars, rumors of wars, nations against nations, kingdom against kingdom, famine, pestilence, all of this is led by the Antichrist. The interesting thing is, is that Satan is the one that is guiding the Antichrist. Now, you could, you could kind of uh, think about it. How many of you, when you are growing up, how many of you ever had anybody call you a little devil? Lyndon's the only one here is every little devil. <laughs> let me tell you, let me, let me give you, and, and you know, everybody believes in this walking dead, so surely you can understand what I'm fixing to tell you. Here's the Antichrist. He's going to be a good-looking rascal, kind of like me. He, he'd be a great-looking guy. He's going, to be, he's going to be stout. He's going to be very eloquent in his speech. He's going to be such, such, a, such a draw, but inside of him is Satan, and Satan has put on this light. You ever heard that before? Paul said that. He will light his way into the hearts of everyone, and this Antichrist is going to go forth and deceive people, but it's all going to be done by Satan. Satan hasn't changed his ways since the Garden of Eden. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. It got Eve. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes of pride of life. It got Adam. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes of pride of life. It gets you and I every stinking day. He doesn't change. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes of pride of life. It gets me, it gets you. He doesn't have to change what he's doing. And that's what he's going to do here. And he's going to bring about the end, through the tribulation. Now I want you to look with me in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And while you're looking there, I'm going to tell you something. Daniel prophesied of this Antichrist in Daniel 8, 23 through 25. Hope you'll write that down that you'll read it later. Daniel 8, 25. In Daniel 9, 26, and 27, he writes about the 70th week, 69 weeks, And then the Messiah is cut off. Then the 70th week will begin. Weeks of years is what that talks about. And when that begins, you've got seven years, and the Antichrist is going to be in control of all of that. And you can read that in Daniel chapter 8 and Daniel chapter 9. But look with me as as Paul writes to the people at Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 2. Look at verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. That is the Antichrist, the man of sin, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Look at verse 6. And now you know that with now what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time? For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now lets will let until he be taken out of the way. Now, if you've got your lipstick or pencil, you write this down. That is when the Holy Spirit is pulled out of this earth. Whew. And Satan has free run. God's God's in control of all of this. They don't understand. He's still sovereign. But Satan is going to be able to move because Satan is keeping, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit is keeping Satan from doing a lot to you right now. You need to understand that. Okay? Verse 9. Even him who's coming after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, In them that perish, because they receive not the love of truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they shall be damned who believe not in the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Seventy weeks, three and a half years, the Antichrist is going to build up a relationship even with Israel at the beginning of the last three and a half years. He will break his treaty with Israel. He will romp over all of this earth until everything is done in the judgment of God. And then God will take him down. That's what we'll get to later on. So what you see here is the white horse. But listen, verse 3. And when he'd opened the second seal, he heard a second beast say, come. And so rides out a red horse. The red horse takes away the peace under the auspices of the Antichrist. and he makes war with the world. He's going to begin to kill, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Is't that what Jesus said? That's what's going to happen with this red horse that rides out. He's going to have a sword in his hand that describes a knife that's able to cut to cut the throat. It doesn't mean it's just a little dagger but it's going to be a sword that's able to slit the throat and he's going to ride forth and he's going to turn people against each other and people are going to be killed. The black horse in verse five. And when he opened a third seal, come and see and behold a black horse. And he that sat on it had a pair of balances in his hand, a measure of wheat for a penny in verse six, and three measures of barley for a penny, but don't hurt the oil and the wine. Famine is what he's talking about. Famine. Anytime there's a war, there's famine. I know I wasn't a part of World War II. Some of you were. But I remember my grandmother talking about ration stamps. Rationing. Because we didn't have enough. Famine sets in after war. And we see all these countries, how it affects them. Because they can't grow crops because of everything that's happening around them. And famine is going to hit during this time as the Antichrist begins to ride forth. And he's going to sell uh, the wheat and the barley, it says for a penny, that's a day's wage. It'll take a day's wage and and the amount that he's talking about is just a handful. So he he could feed himself, but he can't feed his family. So what's he going to do? Wheat? Barley's more expensive? Because it was used more for different things? Don't hurt the oil and the wine because that's where the Antichrist has all of his stuff. He'll keep that. But there'll be a famine that will follow. All of the killing that begins when the Antichrist is finally in charge. And then the fourth seal in verse 7. And I heard the voice of the fourth beast and I said, come and look and behold A pale horse. You know that word for pale, interestingly, in the Greek is the word chloros. And if I'm not mistaken, there's a bleach that is real close to that word. Now, chloros, pale, means a a greenish looking color. What happens when you spill bleach on something? It kills the fabric. It kills the color. You don't get it back. And back in the '60s, everybody threw it on there on purpose. They call it what was it, tie-dyed. I didn't have any britches good enough to tie-dye. Mama had patches all over mine. But a pale horse will ride through death. Now look at this power was given unto him over a fourth part of the earth and look at the last part of verse 8 to kill with the sword with hunger and with death how do you kill with death how do you kill with death there are going to be plagues that begin to set in there's going to be things that begin to happen where people will uh, die with Things that are happening to them, not necessarily killed in a war or anything else, but things will be happening to them. And you notice that last portion down there, and the beast of the earth with death and the beast of the earth. I I was reading about that, and and there's several of them. And Dr. Jeremiah, David Jeremiah, is one of the, the big proponents of this. Never thought about it, but he said, do you know the biggest killer as far as beasts go? rats 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 can multiply at a tremendous rate but they also carry many deadly diseases we read about it in our history books the bubonic plague was carried by what rats he may not be far wrong here people die because There's nothing to stop these rats and nothing to stop anything else from causing difficulty and problems. So now we see the judgment in the tribulation by the Antichrist and those that follow him. He is in charge. Now the word anti there, it means against or instead of. So he is against Christ, against God, and he's there instead of Christ or God. Look at verse 9. The fifth seal is opened. And I'll try to move this along. When the fifth seal is opened, notice this. He saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God, for the testimony which they held. They cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge, and avenge avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? White robes were given unto them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season, until their fellow servants also and their brethren should be killed. And they were, should be fulfilled, as they were. The fifth seal is open to reveal heaven and the elect of God in verse 9. John sees people that have been slain. They've been murdered, but they've been murdered here on the earth. We call them martyrs. The word martyr means witness. So a martyr is one who has, uh, who has been a witness, and they are sacrificially slain. I saw under the altar them that were slain for the word of God. John understands that because John's old Patmos because of the word of God. And here are these people that are killed for the word of God. How were they slain? Verse 4 said he was, there was given a sword to them, and he would kill one another. If you read in Revelation chapter 20, you'll read about, in, in verse 4, you'll read about Jesus receiving those... Who have been beheaded. More than likely what he's talking about here. And folks this isn't anything new. You can watch it on television. We've got these radical Muslims. That are lining Christians up. On beaches or wherever they might be. And they ask them to renounce Christ. And when they don't the sword comes through. And drops their head off. And you just wait. Until it hits. And down you go. Could it be. They were talking about something like these large swords. He has a sword, the red horse does. A sword that can cut, a sword that can sever. And here are these people that lose their head over the things of God. They gave their lives for the Lord, but it's all at the beginning of the tribulation. The four horses ride out, which we call the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Why did they die? What, what caused their death? Probably they were testifying. We're under the judgment of God. We can't listen to this. And folks, I want you to know something. Under the Antichrist, you don't have a say. You can't get on Facebook and tell somebody about uh, this is the judgment of God and then let it go by. They'll come kill you. You're not going to get by with stuff like that. You're going to be under the thumb of, of a... Uh, A dictator, an evil dictator that is going to take everything that you have away from you and they will be killed. Their heads will be cut off, we'll say, because they stood up for God. Well, this begs the question, some of you may be thinking, will there be people saved during the tribulation? These people that died here died at the beginning of the tribulation next week in chapter 7 we're going to read about others who have died those that god has placed his hand on but many others that have died will there be you said the holy spirit's been taken out taken out so is, are we going to be able to see people that are saved yeah remember the old testament the holy spirit didn't dwell on the earth the holy spirit came when he was needed and back in the tribulation the holy spirit comes and people will be saved and so here's what happens when i say that so i'll wait until the tribulation and i know it's there and when I know the tribulation is there, then I'll ask Jesus to save me. No, you won't. Paul made it very clear, today is the day of salvation. And I'm going to show you why here in just a second. Don't you, just, don't you put it off and say, I'll just live like I want to until I get in the tribulation. And then I'll, I'll just say, okay, Jesus, I'm ready for you. No. We begin to believe a lie. These people were under the judgment of God. The rapture came and they were left behind. I can't imagine anything more frightening than to think, I turn around and my family's gone and I'm left behind. What do we do? What are we going to do when those things begin to happen? These people are, are killed, but they are kept by the blood if you read when, when Moses built the altar, the altar that was built, the sacrificial altar, they sprinkled the blood at the base of the altar, under the altar. He said, I saw under the altar the souls of them slain for the Word of God. There they are under the altar, but here's the good thing about it. Under the altar means they are under the watchful care and eye of Almighty God. Now, when you read that next part there, it says, How long, O Lord? How long? And we, we dwell on that and say, Well, you're challenging God. That's not the gist of that. He says, How long, O Lord? How long until you avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And you say, Well, that's not the way we're supposed to be. We're supposed to pray for our enemies. And here they are saying, God, how long until you avenge them? And God gave them a white robe. And said to them, rest. The word literally means stop. Stop. Rest. Yet for a little season until the rest of them have been killed. And we're going to see people killed all along the way. And then you get over into Revelation 20 and God's going to gather them up. And they are going to be avenged for the blood that was shed. Because of the Antichrist. So you see the God's tribulation and wrath on the elect of God. It's not eye for an eye. It's when all of them are are gathered together. And then verses 12 through 17, you see the great day of God's tribulation, wrath. The sixth seal. Look at it right quick. Behold, when he opened the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood Now, it doesn't mean the moon's going to turn to blood. We have blood moons all the time. We had one a year or two ago. Uh, The sun is just in the right place and everything's at the right time. You can talk about smoke. You can talk about fire. You can talk about all these other things. You can talk about nuclear war. The sun is not going to just turn black. The sun will appear to disappear. The moon will be just like the red to describe all that and, and to put it down in scientific terms, I don't think any of us are able to do that. But it doesn't mean that God's going to have blood dripping from the moon. And it doesn't mean that He's going to white, black things out. But it does mean, and notice this, the, the earthquakes came and the, and the uh, sun became black. The world shook. All of the world, not just a part of it. Verse 13, the stars of heaven fell into the earth. Even as a fig tree cast off its untimely figs, those stars are probably meteorites, asteroids that are coming, and the and the sky turns them loose, and they begin to pelt the earth with their power in falling. The heaven departed as a scroll when it rolled together. We've seen clouds here in the Panhandle of Texas when a big tornado is coming, and it looks like they're just rolling, rolling, and they're rolling. And all of a sudden the storm begins to come and then we have no control over that. Now folks, I think what we're seeing here and, and what we need to understand is that God is still in, control, in charge of his creation and God turns it loose. He takes his hand off and he says, here's what happens when I don't control that. And so all of that begins to, to take place with all these things happening on the earth. Now notice 15 and 16. And this is why you're not guaranteed to be saved. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains, the mighty men, every bondsman and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and the rocks. They trusted the rocks more than did God. And said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us. Hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb. They know it's coming, but they refuse him you know he's coming today you have the right to refuse him but look at verse 17 for the great day of his wrath is come who can stand the tribulation will come it begins with what we call the four horsemen of the apocalypse the antichrist will ride out death famine war All of this is going to follow right behind him. He'll win the the world over. Jesus said, I've come and you didn't believe me, but somebody else comes in my name, you believe him, and you're going to believe a lie and say, we'll be delivered from this. We'll be delivered from this. Folks, when the tribulation comes, you are up against the judgment of God. Now, here's my closing. Are you ready for that? Listen to me and hear me well. Has there ever been a time in your life when you've asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart and save you? Answer that question right now. Has there ever been a time when you've asked Jesus to save you? And you can look at me and say, yes, preacher, there has been. And I know that he's in my heart. And I thank God because we're going to go together. in The rapture. Not in the tribulation. If you can't answer that question, I'm here this morning to say to you, you need Jesus as your Savior. I'm willing to help you find Him as your Savior this morning so that you can walk out of here and say, not the tribulation, but the rapture. I'm going to see Jesus. Where are you? Make it right with God today. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I'm going to help you now. You you know, you say to yourself, I've never asked Jesus into my heart. I've joined a church, gone through rituals, but I've never trusted Jesus. Here's what we're going to do. You, in faith, you believe, and now you open your heart. And let's pray this prayer together. Dear Father, I know that I'm a lost sinner. I believe Jesus Christ died for me. I believe he rose again. By faith, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of all of my sin. Save me, Lord. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving my soul. If you prayed that prayer with me, I want you to get up. I want you to come right now. Nobody's looking. I want you to come. I'll meet you right here. If you didn't, you want to pray that prayer, get up and come. We'll pray it together. God doesn't tell us these things to make us scared. God tells us these things to make us look up and see him. If you don't know Jesus, you come. You need a church home. God has brought you here. And you need a place where you can say, this is my home. This is where I worship. This is what God wants. You come. By letter, by statement for baptism, I'll explain all that to you. You just get up and come and follow the will of the Lord. He waits for you now. What would God have you to do? You decide. Father, give us the boldness to step out. Father, give us the victory in Jesus today. For it's in his name we pray. As we stand together and as we sing, I invite you to come. Come to Jesus. Come now. Come quickly.